Passing Dimes is over the moon to partner with Betstamp. Betstamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Do you enjoy betting on the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, World Cup, or more? With Betstamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Go to the App Store today and download Betstamp for free and use code DIMES. That's D-I-M-E-S. For a limited time, Betstamp is offering you, a friend of the show, an opportunity to learn more about Betstamp and several sportsbooks where you can get an edge in online sports betting. Message the Passing Dimes Instagram or Facebook account for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's returning guest. So since he last joined the show, he's OUA Coach of the Year again, and he's got an OUA championship with the Brock Badgers. Please welcome back to the show, Steve Delaney. Steve, thanks for doing this, man. No problem, Josh. Happy to be here. So the last time we had you on the show, you told some amazing stories and I can't wait to go down the rabbit hole of your team culture. But uh, the, the one I was reminded of that I want to cover right off the bat is you guys make your first OUA final in the Brock Badgers women's history. And maybe there was a hint of like job finished because we qualified for nationals and maybe there wasn't the same fight for that OUA final where, you know, COVID happens, there's a pause and then the season gets back and you find yourself in the OUA final again. So uh, I was hoping you could let us in behind the curtain. Did that leave a bad taste a lot of the athletes mouth and that's why they wanted to win it so bad was there a new culture was it something you brought up like how did you get over the hump of we qualified for nationals but job's not finished we want to take down the OUA this year yeah so I think there's a learning piece to kind of every experience you go through that's negative and um you know specifically in that year um you know we had set our our, our statements at the beginning of the, the season remember you know we, we make statements we don't set goals so our statement was you know we were going to qualify for nationals. We were going to win an OUA medal and, and we had done that. And then, you know, everything that happened after that is probably on me because I, I think if you remember, I was, I was watching this unfold where the girls are in tears after winning the semifinal, you know, we're, we're now going, you can see parents that were in tears because they had watched their, 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 their daughter, you know, go through the, the four or five years that they had been there. Uh, most of them anyway. Um, and, and, and now to kind of accomplish this, it was a really great moment. And, you know, I fell victim to like the magic of sport, just kind of watching, you know, what had happened. But after the fact, um, you know, I, I knew it as it was happening. I'm like, I should really wrap this up here and make this like a 10 minute celebration. Then get back in the change room and focus on University of Toronto um, for our final match. And I remember, you know, being in the hallway um, as we're coming back from our dinner and girls are already talking about Calgary and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, boy. Um, so. I, I took that. I did bring it up at her end at your exit meeting. And that, in fact, Laura Kandata actually mentioned it. She's like, Hey, you know, we really celebrated, like, not that we didn't go crazy or anything, but you could tell, like we, we let a lot of emotion out um, in that semifinal victory. And we probably it didn't, we weren't prepared, not probably, but we weren't prepared for the start of the match the next day. And we went down a bunch of points. So I actually, you know, kind of reminded them of that at the end of the year. And then going into our, our following season, Obviously, we just come off a, a COVID um, season where we didn't play at all. So we made our statements, and our statement this time was to win the OUA. Um, so now all of our behaviors uh, going forward had to be, you know, uh, in in line with accomplishing that. And it was tough because you know every week you're, you're, you were, we were um, testing before 
the game. So at eight thirty in the morning, everyone's doing a COVID test. I don't know who I'm gonna have for for athletes um, <laughs> until like right before. So um, once we had, you know, I realized too that home home court advantage was going to be big for us. I mean, I think the math right now in my time at Brock is uh, we have an eighty three percent win percentage for the matches we play at Brock. So being able to have that match at home. Um, was going to be important. And obviously, U of T was undefeated. We were undefeated. And um, we got the tiebreak because it was the West, I guess, that, that got it that year. So that's why we were there. So that was really important. But even going into that match, we had a home court, but um, we felt more prepared because we were, our, our, our statement was to win that match. It wasn't to, you know, win the semifinal and qualify for nationals, which is what we had also done at that point. We, we were more hungry at that point, and we were, I know as a coach, I was way more prepared. I, I broke not some coaching rules of my own, but I was a lot more uh, kind of uh, directive in terms of what we were doing in our blocking scheme during the match, uh, which I think really helped us. And uh, we got on a good roll, and we were fortunate enough. I mean, they scared us a bit in the fourth set, but we were fortunate enough to, to come out with a victory and, and then go to nationals, and then the learning began again. Yeah, let, let's take a quick off ramp there because I'd love to hear this story. So you're saying with your coaching style, like you basically prepare the team and then when the match is on, you're letting athletes make a decision where were you a little bit more hands on or a little bit more like go stand here, do this? Like, were you controlling the tactics a little bit more than you do at baseline? Yeah, way more. Um, I, you know, I, I felt we had a really good scout uh, and we, we give our match plans out. The athletes know who they're supposed to block and what rotation and whether they're going to take line or cross or if they're middle they're going to take one or five and um basically what i did is i took the onus on me and if our blockers made an improper decision um i just it's hey it's, that's on me so you know i might release the the middle to the pin early or you know um just let them take the read out of it in certain situations not in every situation um because i'm big on you know you have to learn because i'm not always going to be there and that type of scenario but uh at this in this particular match i really dialed into like what i saw there um you know their their tenant uh, their their tendencies were to be, and um, we, we we arranged our defense accordingly. Nice, nice. So just to backtrack one more time with the, it worked out, obviously your plan and your statement, but I'm curious as a coach, how do you stay connected to that goal? Cause I find sometimes if you set an end of season goal, maybe some athletes who aren't as intrinsically motivated, or maybe they have an off day, like how do you stay connected to that goal on a Tuesday night in January where they're just kind of getting back after the holiday season or something like you obviously can't win provincials every day of the year. So how are you staying connected or was that up to the leaders on the team to say like, okay, we're having a bad practice at water break we're going to talk about this and we're going to come out of it better like because it's hard to stay glued to that goal for the whole year right it is but that's why you you need to basically um those statements in place so now you're accountable to the statement it's, it's kind of like i mean this is only my thing and i don't know if anyone else has ever said this i'm probably they probably have but you know a goal is something you'd like to have a statement is something that you have to back up so if you say you're going to do something then Players need to be again in line with that. So don't forget, at that time, COVID was still a thing, and we weren't supposed to be intermingling, going to you know, they weren't supposed to be going to parties and having a bunch of social time. So that was the, the uh, I think, a blessing and a curse because it made everybody hyper vigilant as to the stuff they were doing away from campus, away from the gym, away from the weight room, um, because they knew that one little slip up and they could maybe be held out of a match, right? And not only that, they could get their housemates sick or maybe also on the team. So we had to be extra careful because of COVID. So, uh, you know, that's part of the, the way I believe we stayed motivated to that. I mean, 
we're dealing with the same thing this year where, you know, it's coming around uh, our break time. And, 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 you know, there's been a couple athletes who, you know, we talked about, you know, how we're going to train and what we're going to do. And some of them wanted to go away on different types of vacations. We said like, Hey, hang on here. Like we decided early on that we made a statement and we need to be engaged in championship behavior if you want to be a champion. So sometimes people, uh, they stray away from that. And then we, we kind of tug them back into the, the, uh, the fold of the team and, and talk about the we before me culture. And I don't expect everybody to be perfect with it, but um, the closer we are to it, the better chances we, we are, at, uh, you know, making good on our statement. Nice. Love that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So just to follow our timeline here, you get to nationals and for fans of the program, they would remember in the COVID year, you guys are on site, you have the banquet and then we get the call that the tournament's canceled. So to maybe use that as a learning opportunity, did you feel prepared going into nationals or was it still brand new because you guys didn't get to play your quarterfinal in year one, right? Yeah, it was brand new. I mean, year one, we got sent home and it was a lot of tears and, you know, to not even be able to compete was a tough thing uh, to, to, to deal with. And we weren't obviously the only sporting league in the world that, that was going through that. Um, so, you know, that was a, a tough moment. And then this year, we're essentially doing everything for the first time, right? And um, I, I basically learned quickly there's some things that we shouldn't have done, I think. Like we went to the, um, you know, the All-Canadian Banquet and um, the amount of pictures we took <laughs> – in our dressed up gear to go to that. Like the girls are all dressed up and, you know, makeup's on and the coaches are in suits and all of this thing. And, and uh, we really treated it like we were going to the Oscars, right? And um, looking back now, I, you know, it should have been, hey, we're going here, we're getting in, we're getting out, we got to focus on our match. Uh, you know, we should have had more of our dinners, I think, in the hotel instead of going out um, to different places. But um, we were essentially, for lack of a better term, tourists at the national championship last year and we had a lot of youth as well that hadn't been in the situation so that came out in our first match on the court for sure um so yeah again it, it, we learned a lot when we got there and it was our first time even though we'd been there the year before we didn't know what it felt like to get on the court in in a gym where we're playing a team that's from that that city right like Mount Royal's from calgary right they're they're um you know, an Alberta team and they had everybody there and their fans were very, very uh, loud and, and engaged in the game. And they had the Vuvuzela going and all this stuff. So it was a, it was a unique atmosphere for us for the first time and uh, a little bit of jitters and, and inexperience for, for all of us, including myself, uh, came out uh, in that match. So again, pulling from your episode one here, just for coaches who should go back and listen to that. But for now, how do you find the balance of not being a tourist, but still enjoying the experience? Because I think you did it well with your club teams where maybe if uh, nationals were in Alberta, like you guys go to Banff after the event or you rent a limo after you win nationals, right? Like you try not to front load it or do it before. So uh, how did you walk that line of like, here's what we're here to do. Let's not lose focus of that. But also it's special to go to nationals and we should make some memories too, right? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to, like, so I'm big on fun, right, in our, in our program. I think you're going to get the most out of your athletes if um, you're enjoying yourself because it is a grind. It's a lot of work. It's five practices a week, three lifts, two matches every week, you know, from you know pretty much November to March. And you've got to find some ways to make it enjoyable, especially, especially for the athletes that might not be seeing the court all the time and play a different role. Um, otherwise, you lose them. And, and, you know, I think all coaches lose athletes at some time. So, you know, we tried to do some things where, um, you know, we're, we're getting together, we're having some fun, we're, we're making some memories. But I think, I guess, where we got um, a little bit 
I don't know, like knocked down a bit is because we hadn't been there. We didn't know what things could become. Like I had no idea that um, the awards banquet was going to be probably, probably a thousand pictures, a thousand pictures by, by the team before we even left the hotel. Like every athlete had their camera out, you know, taking different pictures. I want to take a picture with this person. I want to take a picture with that. And, and now your, your mind is really becoming um, too much engaged with the fun and not enough engaged with the fact, okay, we're here to, to, we're actually here for a business trip, right? We're here to get a job done. And um, we kind of deviated from that. And, and, and only through going through that would I have, would I have, would I have learned it the way I did. Um, as I mentioned, like we had our own specific room that we had booked in the hotel that we would use for treatment, that we would use for uh, pregame scouts and that type of thing. I think we should have spent more time in there and less time out at the restaurants and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and doing things that kind of weren't working towards that, uh, that goal of, of doing well at Nationals. Now, in your gym, you've you've encouraged a little bit of trash talk when it's necessary. So, you know, when Guelph gets their football team and they're sitting front row, your athletes aren't distracted and they can still make a serve. So uh, I imagine your athletes were as ready as anybody to play a, a hometown crowd, even though it was at Calgary. Like you said, it's Mount Royal. But does the size of a national quarterfinal just add something that the athletes are going to be nervous? Like what were some of the strategies to prepare for nationals because of the maybe the size of the event in all of our minds? Yeah, so we talked about it. We talked about what it was going to be like. Um, we tried to put some pressure on ourselves before practice um, or during practice. Like, you know, you have to serve at this speed. And if you don't, then, you know, um, you have to serve again. There were different types of, of drills we did to kind of prepare for that because we had a specific serving strategy going into the match. Um, and I said, like, you need to prepare for the fact that the crowd is going to be against you. And every boo-boo you make is going to be... Um, you know, exploited by their crowd, right? And to the point where, you know, some of the stuff, like, I, I want crowds to be involved. I, I think they should try to keep it away from getting it on any one player, like, you know, shouting out a number or, you know, using derogatory, you know, uh, phrases and, and things sometimes, um, you know, it, it gets caught up in, in uh, like the fun of being a fan sometimes because they're trying to help their team win. But I don't think we were ready for some of the things that were being said. We, we certainly weren't ready for the Bukuzela. I mean, there was, they were three rows behind us and not because they were trying to do it. They were blowing through it and spit was coming out the end of it. They were spitting on our bench, not on purpose, but that was actually happening. And some of the girls were like, I didn't know this till after the fact. And, you know, there's been a, a, a thought about what should be allowed at games after the fact. I mean, I know some of the other West coaches reached out about it. For me, I think everything was done um, in a good, in a good heart. Sometimes it just gets out of hand because of, you know, uh, what's involved. So to answer your question, I, we couldn't really have prepared ex again, unless we'd gone through it. And um, we knew the crowd would be, we'd be loud and against us, but we didn't know to the detail of what they were going to say. And, you know, the personal kind of like, you know, comments they were going to make and, and that type of thing where we still talk about it last week. I mean, on Friday, we, told, we started with short court and I said, okay, bonus points for good chirps. And, um, you know, they got to work on their chirp game a lot this year, I think, uh, to get up to par with that. But but it's, but we but one of their comments was, "Hey, listen, if we can take what happened at Nationals last year, there's nothing that could um, that should derail us at this point." So you know, it, hopefully, it made us stronger. Again, every time there's a, a negative aspect, and you lose, there shouldn't be a thought about the loss. But what are we taking away? What are we learning?
Nice. Nice. That leads me to my next question is you, you don't take down the quarterfinal. And I think this is one of the toughest things to do at, at nationals where I think it really shows up the culture and the leadership on the team. What do you say to the squad? So they're ready for the game the next day. Cause obviously you can't win a national championship, but at nationals, you still got to play more matches. So how do you get your team fired up to now play the downside of the bracket? Well, what makes it even kind of crazier is that we had lost a match all season until that point. So we didn't really know how to lose. We didn't know how to overcome it. I mean, everybody's kind of season, for the lack of a better word, ended right at the end of that match. And it's one thing to lose a tight match where you've played well, but there's another thing when you really didn't perform up to your best. And we had some individual uh, you know, athletes that kind of got caught in the moment a little bit. And, um, you know, that was, it was bound to happen. I mean, we had on our starting lineup, there was um, three outside hitters that were basically first years. And so this is their, their first time in a, in a match of that magnitude. Um, and then we, as you mentioned, had to overcome that. So we brought a couple athletes up that we wanted to speak to individually to, to help kind of clear their head. And there were tears. And, you know, we talked about, um, you know, accountability and, and prep going into the match. And, and we were able to bounce back against Dalhousie, which was probably a really important match for our program because had we lost that one, um, you know, there's, there would have been a lot of kind of like, I think, self-deprivation and, and, and some you know, negative kind of aspects uh, there. But we were able to battle back um, and uh, learn. Not you want to learn how to lose, but when it does happen, you have to be able to take some positives away from it so it makes you better the next time. And, and you finish up with U of T. Was it easy to get up for that game just because you've played so many meaningful playoff matches against that squad? Yeah, no, we wanted to play Calgary really bad, um, and U of T beat them, and um, we, we made a decision then, like, I made a decision as a coach that everyone was going to get a piece of this match, because um, we had some athletes that were leaving the program that deserved it, and we were going to win, make no mistake, but we were going to approach it a little bit differently, and we came out, um, you know, we had a long conversation, which could have been a, a mistake by me, because, you know, the girls got all emotional, I said, why is this match against U of T important, important to you guys? I mean, we really wanted to talk about that so that everybody kind of went in understanding, like, this is not just another match. This is a match that is inherently going to affect, you know, where we're seated in, in the rankings at the start of the next season. And, you know, it's important because some of these teammates you're seeing, this is the last time you're going to step on the court with them. And we had about seven athletes that were, were leaving, either graduating or decided that, that um, they needed to move on to something else in their life. And we had known that going into nationals. So, you know, it was important for me for our program that, we had a good experience in that match. And even though we lost it, I know that at the end of it, we were sad, but people felt fulfilled. And that, I think sometimes as a, as a university volleyball coach, um, we forget that, yes, there's wins and losses, but I think the more important part is the university student-athlete experience so that they can look back and go to themselves, maybe tell their kids about it or their, or their significant other about it and say, when I was at Brock, it was a great experience because we did this or we experienced that or I learned this. And um, sometimes your, your win and loss record isn't necessarily reflective of that. Obviously, you have a lot of fun if you're winning, but there needs to be some, some piece of um, personal gratification and satisfaction at the end, no matter what your role is. And I think it's the job of the coaches to keep the athletes engaged um, and, and, and make sure that they have a positive experience and leave with a degree. So just so myself and the listeners don't speculate, when you say you wanted to play Calgary, was that because you wanted to play the hometown team? You wanted to play somebody different? Or what fired you up about the opportunity to play the Dinos? We need to play more out-west teams. They're a real, real strong conference. Um, you know, 
we didn't like we knew it was going to be a home team. It would have been great. There would have been lots of fans there. But um, we're trying. Like we're going out uh, at the 27th of December, and we're actually going to train against uh, Trinity, UBC, and Fraser Valley. We want to play against some of these out west teams because they train differently. They're big. Um, they're strong opponents. I mean, the, the, everybody knows the Canada West Conference is super, super strong. So um, we just wanted to play against another Canada West opponent, and what we hadn't played before. That, that's what was exciting for us. Nice. So to jump ahead to this year, I'm not sure if you could share the statement with us on air. I'll, I'll forgive you if you can, because we're in this season. But uh, again, to draw back on your first episode, uh, I love this. And I've actually added this to my coaching mantra is you're not the biggest fan of underdogs. And what I mean by that is you really appreciate somebody who wins and wins again. And everyone knows they're supposed to win and they keep winning. Right. So with that being kind of like some of your personal values, have you brought that to the squad now that you're the defending champion? Like, does that kind of fill into the statement or the mood around the team about like one's not good enough we're a new team let's try to win it again right so um we talk about winning being a learned behavior uh and that goes along with the statements you said and again um adhering to the behaviors that um go along the lines of achieving that you know statement so we really try to do a good job of of understanding that hey getting to the top is one thing when you're the underdog nobody expects you to win but when you add the expectation of winning on top of it, it becomes super hard. And especially last year going undefeated, we're going into this season going, okay, like we're, not, we're getting everyone's best game. Like people aren't going to come out and lay an egg about uh, uh, against us. They're going to have the match against Brock circled on their calendar and they're going to want to beat us. And, you know, the pressure is actually all on us now. So hopefully that pressure makes us stronger. And, you know, there are in, in every sport, there's teams that are just, you know, known to, to win. And I believe that they involve themselves in championship behavior on and off the court. And that's what we need to do. Because to think about this, I don't know what the stat is of OUA teams, but we actually, if we want to go to Nationals and make good in our statement this year, we have to end up in the OUA final match for the third year in a row, and we have to win it back to back. So that's it's a lot to, to kind of think about so we do make that statement being the year that we want to win the oua and i think um that'll probably be our statement every year because you need to again work towards that but you know doing it means that you have to do all the little things right along the way your lifts your rollouts your recovery like we don't i, I uh, to quote dave preston a really good um uh comment that i that i heard him make in one of his presentations for uh, an ova kind of symposium that he says um we don't have any days off. We only have recovery days. And that's where we, we subscribe to that now as well to know that, okay, you might not have a practice or a match on a Saturday, but you better be doing something to make yourself better. So you can get back to practice on Monday, recover, sleep, you know, whether it's getting your schoolwork done so you can have a, a more free mind come Monday's practice. Um, those are all uh, things that uh, we believe are championship behavior. And, you know, I think it's been working so far this season. Um, and that's what we need to continue to do. If you want to, uh, you know, make good on our statement. And since the last time we spoke, uh, I thought it was funny to use some of your team budget to buy a championship belt that you then award. Uh, according to social media, I think you have some more awards. So would you mind just letting us behind the curtain again and just what awards are you giving yeah. out after every match? So um, it's usually after a weekend, um, but we did do it based on preseason as well. So we actually have three belts now. Um, we have uh, a belt for the best serve receiver. We have a belt for um, the best server, so the person who has the most aces. Um, that's what I mean. That's what we say are the um, is the best server for kind of the weekend. Uh, then we have 
the MVP of the week. So what happens is it doesn't have to be someone who was involved in a match. It could be someone that was really good in practice or really good in lift. And the last week's MVP picks the following week's MVP. So it's kind of done within the team. Um, then we have a shovel for the most digs. Um, we have a shield for the most blocks. We also have a stinky foot for the worst play of the weekend. And coaches are, are up for that one as well. I mean, we've done some things where, you know, coaches do some silly stuff sometimes, like, you know, forgetting a rotation or a lineup or, or uh, the stinky foot uh, is awarded to a coach for that. And um, and that's kind of what we do. And we also do a best and worst. So your your best play of the weekend and your worst play of the weekend, coaches do that as well. So everyone kind of holds themselves accountable in public and works on your your um, your comfort level of speaking amongst your peers, but also a self-reflection piece. What I really like about this weekend and what could I have done better? Um, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of giggles. Um, you know, there's sometimes uh, some embarrassments, but um, I find it really has helped our culture. And I mean, I did this in club as well, and we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, we continue to do that at, uh, at Brock as well. One thing I love about your gym is just the focus on competition. But I'm wondering, how do you balance learning and competing at the same time? I deal with that with athletes in our environment where they've straight up asked me, do you want me to win the drill or do you want me to do the thing we're working on? And like living in the world of both is hard for some athletes. So I am curious, the, the coaching theory, like the pendulum swung, right? It used to be coaches talk too much. So now the game teaches the game is a, is a big motto, especially with USA yeah. Volleyball, where now it's kind of swinging back the other way where some motor learning experts are saying, well, actually the game isn't that good of a teacher if the situation doesn't come up enough of what we're working on. Like, how do you know you got better if you're just playing for the sake of playing? So where do you kind of live on that spectrum where like you want to compete and you want to do gameplay, but how do you make sure that what, say you want an athlete to work on whatever skill they're working on, maybe like a big thing that I find Brock athletes are really good at is wiping off the block. Like how do you encourage them to learn that skill and work at it at game speed versus like doing a, a small tutor session? Or do you try to do both as well? I try to do both, but I spend maybe 20 minutes, 15 minutes of a session tutoring. And then I want to get it right into a gameplay. And then what I'll do is I'll make a bonus point for that, for that attribute. So, you know, like push wipe is, is, is one that we teach. And there's times where we add that and like, okay, today a push wipe in the gym is worth two points. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, tonight we're going to go in and it's going to be uh, hand defense. So if you dig a ball with your hands and we transition it out into a point, um, that'll be a bonus point. So, I, I really do believe in the game teaches the game. I believe in variable training. We did a session where I was teaching athletes to hit away from their body um, and also like cross body. So inside out, thumb down, um, thumb up, whatever you want to call it. And I remember at least two of them hitting those shots in the game and then them pointing to me like, we just worked on that yesterday and we worked on it, but then we put it into a competitive situation. And so now they're thinking about competing, but to compete well, in this particular drill, you have to perform the skill correctly. So that's what I subscribe to. I don't know, I mean, what everyone else is doing, but that's, I've got to go with what's worked for me. And we did the same thing this year. And there's a couple shots where, you know, some of our outside hitters have hit that sharp cross court from four, thumb down that we worked on that week. And they were never hitting that shot before. And, you know, I believe that the skill transfers, if you get to a competitive stage or a competitive aspect right away, and you get the transfer because they, they then they understand they no I can do that I did it in a game I did it competitively and you know, sometimes it's not going to work out but the quicker we can get them transferring it into the competition side of it I think the quicker they if nothing else believe they can do it and then they're going to try that skill or that aspect a lot more. Now, do you ever put constraints on your drill? Like, say I am working on that sharp shot to four. Would you ever tell the blockers to block line, or is the defense always like open and just trying to stop me? Yeah, so 
Well, we, we try to have the, the defense make their own adjustments in practices because I'm giving them the adjustments in the game, right? So, um, you know, but <laughs> you hope that you teach your athletes well enough to say, oh, this athlete is hitting to sharp four for the last three attacks. Maybe we should think about, um, you know, shutting that down and maybe giving them more line. Um, th- that's something that, that uh, I don't necessarily do myself. I hope it happens organically from, you know, the athletes basically taking information and just, and then making a positive decision or adjustment afterwards. Nice, nice. And sometimes the other argument I hear against uh, this competition is, um, are, are you tracking this? Like, do you keep a cauldron? And if so, does the cauldron dictate playing time or are you tracking it because we want to have an outcome and we want to know who won practice today? Yeah, um, we don't necessarily, we've talked about tracking it in, in the sense that, um, you know, what happens, uh, like in the score of each drill, and we'll talk about it specifically center versus center, because sometimes we'll flip the, flip the centers. Like a lot of times we have an A and a B side, but based on some of the feedback I got from last year's team, they wanted to see a little bit more of a mix up of the lineups and practice. So we do that getting closer to, um, our matches. We'll, we'll throw the match that, uh, we'll throw the lineup, I think rather that, um, we see playing in that match. And then, you know, we'll, we'll maybe keep stats of, of, or keep track of, you know, how the setter did with each, each side. Um, but we don't necessarily have it into the point where it, it, um, really affects playing time in terms of the result. We taste, we basically take a look at the athletes and say, okay, how has this athlete been in practice? Are they better than the athlete we had so they didn't start over them? Are they making improvements? Does this athlete need a chance to play? How are their, how are their numbers in preseason? So preseason is big for us because we stat it. And the biggest thing we take a look at is plus minus. And we say, okay, look, like at the end of preseason, this athlete was a plus 41. You know, the athlete that's closest to them is like a plus 10. There's a difference. And their playing time is reasonable because we, we, we for the most part, split it up um, around where our, say, usual starters were getting some of them less time than the, um, than the athletes behind them. And, you know, because when we sit down and have our one-on-ones at the end of preseason, we're able to say, okay, look, here's the numbers after preseason. I told them it's an audition. Your preseason is an audition, so take it serious. And we want you to try things. We want you to, to, um, to work on what we've been working on in practice. But at the end of the day, we're going to take a look at, you know, your passing, your blocking, your serving, um, you know, your attacking numbers, that type of thing. And if you're a setter, like what is the, the side out um, efficiency, you know, off of you? What are your hitters hitting off of you? And that type of thing. So um, we're constantly looking at that throughout the season as well. And that's a bigger kind of factor in terms of the playing time than, you know, a cauldron drill won or lost in a practice. Nice. Yeah. Well said. And you brought up the setters winning drills, which leads me to my last question, because it's just been it feels like an ongoing argument uh, with Garrett and a few of the guests we've had on Sharp Cuts the whole first semester, because it's scary how often an athlete is getting 70 or 80 attempts in U sports this year. So I'm curious what your philosophy would be uh, if the setter wins. Is, is that good distribution that you just set your your best player a, a boatload of balls? Or is there an opportunity to be a little bit more even and spread the ball? Like where where would you fall on that spectrum that you know if somebody's going to get 70 balls and they get us 35 kills that's a good game or maybe there's an opportunity that they could have got someone else a one-on-one and they could have put the ball away for us i think it depends on the athletes uh, and what their load is and you know what they can handle our team this year um we're we're doing well um but we don't have an athlete that is you know in the top 10 top five in the country in kills um, I don't think we have anyone in the top five in, in kill efficiency. Um, uh, we, we might have one of our middles, but but we, if you take a look at the stats, you can see that 
um, we're spreading it around quite a lot. Um, and I think that's what allows us to be great on back-to-back -back nights. If you have an app that takes 70 swings on a Friday, it's going to be hard to ask them to take the same 70 swings the next night. Um, now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, and I'm not saying that an athlete can't do that, but you you then as a coach, when we talk about load management, have to take a, take a look at that athlete. Um, and, and especially because of there's a bunch of sickness and, and viral, uh, you, know, uh, you know, going around where there's people who can't handle the same capacity that they normally would. So you as a coach have to watch that. In a practice, um, I think because we've spread the, the scoring around, like say middle transition is a really good one. I have no problem if our middles are going to take an extra load in practice because the center wants a bunch of bonus points because that what that does, it takes a load off of our outsides to always give it to them to win the drill. You're going to be out of system enough where your outsides are going to get a fair shake at, uh, at getting some good reps in anyway. But now you've got that extra, okay, we're forced in the middle now in, uh, in transition in games, which I think helps us to have a more, um, you know, even attack. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the best teams out there um, in, in women's volleyball anyway are the ones that have, you know, a bunch of weapons to kind of use because it's not, what, what if your best athlete that you're given 70 kills is having an off night or is held out because of a, you know, respiratory illness or a COVID protocol or something like that? Um, you know, relying on that is tough. Teams do it, but I think if you want to be uh, successful at the highest level, you have to have more than one or two options. Sorry, I misspoke. I do have one more question I just thought of. So you don't have verts at your program, which is totally perfect for the question I'm going to ask because maybe some high school coaches or club coaches don't have it, but you do focus a lot on gameplay. So how do you know you're not overcooking the athletes? Like if you're going to play a lot, how are you aware of uh, either stress from school or family or yeah. load on the body? Like, are you taking a rate of perceived exhaustion score, like an RPE score, or what are you trying to yeah. do to measure? So like a club coach here isn't listening and saying, Oh, Steve just does gameplay for two hours every day. That's what I'm going to do with my club team. It's like, how do you progressively yeah. load them or how do you make sure you're not over cooking them yeah so obviously um what the big the big kind of factor is when you have a match right um so they do uh, uh, like a self kind of report at the beginning of every lift they do that three times a week we also um track their jump number at the beginning and the end of the week so we know kind of like what their performance indicator is in terms of their their vertical jump if we overcook them on the weekend with matches they'll come on on monday and then they'll have a lower a lower score but essentially what i do is you know if we have a match on, on Sunday, Monday's usually off. We just do a review meeting. Tuesday, we'll go a little bit higher. We'll have a higher volume practice where there's more balls being inputted. On maybe the Wednesday, we'll still do gameplay, but there'll be less balls. It'll just be maybe off of a serve. So, you know, we might put four balls into a drill on, on, on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we have, um, you know, uh, a, a situation where it's just maybe off serve. So it's less reps, but you're still focused and you're still doing gameplay. Then Thursday, if we have a match on Friday, there's no jumping. It's just, it's just, you know, um, a servant pass, that type of thing. And we, we score it, we make it competitive. And then we'll do like a servant pass again in the morning of our home games. Um, you know, the day we have a match at home. So, um, I, that's the, 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 the kind of like, system i've used since i've started here it seems to work for us i'm always always asking the athletes to report back to me if they're overloaded and last week they said on friday you know hey steve we've got exams uh, a bunch of our bodies um, are, are a little bit you know beat up a bit because a lot of them are trying to pb uh, in their lift because we don't have a match till you know an actual league match now until january 7th we are going out to compete against uh, the teams in bc um so we're going to have to roll that in and we've we've worked out a couple recovery days in between there but 
just, you know, having an open line of communication between the athletes. And, you know, at first when they told me, hey, you know what, we need a little bit of a lighter practice on Friday, I was kind of like, you're getting two days of recovery. Plus, we're, we're only having a short week this week. We're having a short week next week. Um, and if an athlete has an exam uh, during this week of exams, they don't have to come to the practice the day before. So I was kind of like, okay, but I listened to them. And I think we had a nice, fun, competitive practice for an hour on Friday, um, which wasn't a ton of jumps. And um, I, I think the best thing you could do is always take track of, you know, keep track of how they're feeling. Listen to them when they tell you that they're, they're overloaded. And then try not to give them a, a big, big jump load right before a tournament or a match. Man, this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, just for context for the listeners, you're about to walk into practice. You're like you're you're literally on your way to practice right now. So thank you so much for for sharing all that you did and for just for making the time. I, I always learn a lot and go Badgers. Thanks for, you know, being a friend of the show and sharing all the behind the scenes because it's a fun team to watch and it's it's good to get some context when we are following you guys. Awesome. Well, happy to uh, to be a guest uh, again and uh, we'll probably chat again in the future.